0: and welcome to episode 431 of the Crate and Crowbar a gaming podcast being recorded on a saturday unusually saturday the 20th of january 2024 i'm marsh davis and this irregular recording time affords us the pleasurable company of game developer and powerful wizard tom <laughs> francis hello welcome tom Hi. It's been a while since you were last on.
1: Yeah, that's because weekdays are not usually good for me because it's 10.30am here (laughs) and uh, (laughs) on a weekday that's not so good.
0: So I should ask you since it's been a while, um, as well as reminding everyone that they can vote in the Crate and Crowbar community's Game of the Year 2023 awards, the link for which will be in our show notes. I thought I'd begin by asking you, maybe not what your best game of 2023 was but what were the games that you've been playing since you were last on well my
1: best game of 2023 since you asked <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> okay well, you can... uh it's tears of the kingdom for sure um absolutely loved it it was uh uh such a surprise to, for it to be so my jam when breath of the wild wasn't really i figured like even if it was a great game and and you know did all the things it set out to do that since I didn't really click with Breath of the Wild, I probably wouldn't click with this. But yeah, to me, like all the emergent stuff, all the systemic stuff in Breath of the Wild didn't really come to the fore. It was like there if you try, if you prodded it to, to find it, yeah. but it didn't lead, as I went around the world, I wasn't using emergent solutions to to solve problems. The problems that came up just seemed to be ones I should solve with a sharp stick, um, whereas Tears of the Kingdom is just absolutely goes ma- mad with it, and you know everything can be solved with by building some mad contraption and and bolting like cutting down a forest and bolting every tree together to make a giant stick. <laughs> <And> just <laughs> uh, is just constantly saying yes to you. Every harebrained idea you have is like, yep, that works. Yep, okay, that works. Um, and every uh, every weird oddball solution you can come up with, no matter how like inefficient and time consuming it might be to do it, when it does eventually work uh i find that extremely validating as like as a person (laughs) like i realize that this is like something i get out of games when they it's it's probably the main reason i like like emergent games in the first place and things that have a lot of freedom of approach is it's not just that i want to like have a varied time with it and and try different things it's that when i go about a problem in a really weird way that's very like me (laughs) and uh, you know avoid direct conflict um uh, come up with some sort of cunning or, or weird plan even if it takes forever and even if its way if I could have just solved it more simply straightforwardly when the game says yes to it when it works it's like validating who I am as a person <laughs> it's like yep <laughs> you're good you're weird but but <laughs> what you the, the thoughts you have are
0: correct <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so interested that you didn't jive with the first game but like the second one I, so what is it about the those emergent things were possible in the first game I remember there being loads of videos coming out which showed showcased players doing crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, but how is how do they make that more uh, accessible or, or the, there is a more inv- a greater invitation to engage with that stuff in the second game? How have they managed that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree that the, that the same amount of systemic emergent stuff was in the first game because the building stuff in Tears of the Kingdom is just a game changer. It's just like you know, it's Gary's mod and <laughs> that, nothing like that was in the first game. And that's right. what I'm using all the time. That's what I'm, all my wacky solutions are just, I build something. I get out the ultra hand and I bolt this to this and I add this to this. It's just even things like, it's so, it like it operates on every level of scale. You know, you can make those massive walking mechs or whatever. Presumably I've seen videos of that. I have never done it. Um And I, I have made like war machines of, of, of a sort. Mine are much more hodgepodge and, and random, but I've, you know, I got through an arena fight by sort of building a battle balcony into the walls of the arena and <laughs> mounting guns on it and just like setting up like shelters for myself so that arrows couldn't rain down on me and breaking line of sight to the enemy and then mounting like laser guns and, and cannons and stuff and just whittling them down over and over again. So there's like large scale solutions. And then there's tiny things of just like in a, inside a puzzle shrine I'm like on this platform and I need this other platform to move up that's above me because it's blocking me. Like I can move the one I'm on, but I can't move the one above me. And so I just, I've got some weapons in my inventory. I just drop like a pole axe and a sword and then I glue them to each other. And then I glue them to the ground. And now they're wedged between those two platforms so that when one goes up, the other one goes up. And I'm sure that's not the solution to the shrine, (laughs) but it's like, that should work. So it works. So yeah, there's just, because it operates on everything. It works on weapons. It works on, um, on physics objects. It can interact with enemies. you know uh an enemy that that there's these big ogre guys who like fall asleep and when they fall asleep their weapon is you know becomes separate from them it's lying by their by their side that's a physics object so you can like pick that up and 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 steal it or you could like bolt a you could glue some like tnt to their club so that then when they try and attack you they'll blow themselves up (laughs) things like that um it's just run through every level whereas like for me breath of the wild is like you can make a round grenade or a square grenade <laughs> and <laughs> there was all that like, like the stasis thing i think was probably the most emergent thing where you sort of free something in place then all the physics forces that are applied to it will all be applied at once that f- always felt weird to me it wasn't satisfying to use it just felt wrong to hit something and have no response to it and then have a huge response to it and i know you can use it to shoot yourself over hyrule castle and speed run the game in eight minutes or whatever but i'm never going to do that like i that just requires precision and iteration and endless perfectionism and that's not really what I want from an emergent game. I want to like mess around and just have this feeling of like whatever you can dream up. Uh, there's probably a way to make it work.
0: And you can uh, presumably, like you're describing, almost entirely circumvent puzzles.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's. I think that's why you know all the stuff I said is is um, uh, you know the, the basis of a good game. But I think what makes me like really love it is that feeling of of it of it letting you circumvent things and just because you know <laughs> you know they know you can do it <laughs> and you also know like they don't intend for you to do it like it's it's just it's just forbidden enough. I think if the game was like, <laughs> if the whole game was like, you must circumvent the puzzles because the puzzles are impossible, or or the, the you know the combat is impossible or whatever, yeah. then I wouldn't get the same pleasure out of circumventing it because I'm meant to circumvent it. I need I need to feel like the game wants me to not circumvent it but allows me to circumvent it.
0: Um, <laughs> Does that not scare I, you as a puzzle game designer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think um, because you usually do know about them as a developer, so you always have a choice of like, do we want to prevent this or not? There are there are sometimes uh things where it's like "Mm, to prevent this it means shutting off these other things that are legitimate but there's one in tactical breach Wizards that that i'm still uh still a little bit torn over where um it's possible to exploit a certain ability um i guess i won't detail it because a it wouldn't make much sense to people haven't played the game and b uh it's it's forbidden knowledge you don't want to know it (laughs) once you know it's like (laughs) oh can i can i make myself not exploit this and so i've I'm really going back and forth on whether to just outright forbid it, um, Mm. because it's hard to come up with like a global rule that would prevent this without preventing some other fun solutions. So I'm erring on the side of like allowing the fun solutions um, and that means either allowing the the exploit uh, solution or coming up with a slightly Weasley rule about, well, well, it usually works, but in this one situation, there's a sort of, there's some quirk of the magic that means you can't keep doing this over and over. Um, But yeah, those, those things, um, that's very rare. Most of the time in wizards, it's just like, what usually happens is is you realize like, um, you know, there's a perk for, for the Navy seer where every time an enemy, sorry, every time an ally uses their main attack, he also gets an attack on that target. If he can shoot them, he will. And it's just free. And initially, that was just infinite. It can happen as many times as you like. And then you realize, oh, he can give actions to people. So they can spend their action and then kind of get a free action from him as well. And then if there's another way to get that guy mana over and over, he can keep giving them actions and it spirals into uh, a very overpowered strategy. And so all we did was just make it so that uh, that perk, by default, only triggers once per turn. But then there's another perk you can get once you have it to upgrade it to trigger an infinite amount of times better. So the overpower strategy is still in there. It just costs you ultimately two perk points to get there. So it's like, if there's going to be something like that, that's a bit crazy, then rather than remove it, we'll just make it a bit more expensive and make you really like work
0: towards it. Hmm, that seems like a good solution. I mean, you could also uh, have your your characters shame the player for using it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's genuinely what, one of the things we're considering for that exploit one. is like, <laughs> we can detect if you're doing this. So we might just like let you do it, but then have the character say, well, this seems kind of boring. <laughs>
0: yeah, cool. What else have you been playing then?
1: Um, lately, I've been playing Chia, which is a game I've been meaning to get to for ages, uh, which is a, an open world game um, set in New Caledonia by some devs who are from there. Um, which is a Pacific island I want to say um, with a very sort of unique uh, mix of people and, and uh, culture and this is this like you play as a young girl who um, whose father is kidnapped by some rugs <laughs> there's the enemies uh... there was a villain there was, there was a guy I don't really remember what he was like but I remember his henchmen were kind of like carpet people <laughs> and uh that's the only like well uh the the in general the world is is quite it reminds me of just cause it's like a rolling foresty island with beaches and um beautiful seas and and just uh lots of people uh in villages and and npcs to talk to and little quests to do and it feels very grounded in real world and then i think i've only actually encountered this once but just once I came across like a little camp of carpet people who are just, I'm, I can't actually fully remember what they looked like, um, but the, the picture I have in my head from memory is a bit like the playing card people from Alice in Wonderland. Um, but imagine that, but a, but a rug. Um, mm. And I came across a little encampment of them. They're all, they're all ill-advisedly standing around a fire because fire turns out to be the only thing that can kill them. <laughs> and there's loads of little oil lamps around their camp and basically combat in this game to the extent that it exists is you find some fiery stuff and you throw it at them and you know there's there's a few of them so you've got to manage the economy of fiery things to throw at them Uh, but it has the feel of like a far cry outpost so you can kind of come at it from any angle and it's just out there in the open world it's not a mission or anything Uh, well there is like a you know a little mission that pops up when you start doing it but um what's weird about it is like i just found the one of them and i played this game for probably six to eight hours <laughs> so it seems to have like a whole far cry ish combat system and open world outposty thing that only comes up sort of one percent of your playtime. No wow! Um, the main thing uh that's sort of the banner feature of the game is that uh you can possess almost anything um so this is just a, an ability that your character sort of uh develops spontaneously um but she can sort of um jump into like a fish or a um uh you know a passing deer or even just a rock or a coconut (laughs) and everything um is very it's it's extremely generous game like it just kind of wants you to have fun so even when you're possessing a rock if when you try and move you you tumble forwards and with quite some speed i think you're actually faster as a rock than you are in your human form (laughs) because you're just sort of like a physics object (laughs) that can just accelerate uh with with wild abandon um and then also anytime you're, you're possessing something that, that would normally be inanimate uh you can sort of aim a kind of throw with it i guess you sort of throw yourself um and that launches the object and also depossesses it i believe so you sort of like you, you launch as the coconut and you, you fly over a building or whatever and then you become yourself as as you sort of arrive um it's an insane game for like a small team to have made because a it's an open world game which is just difficult in the first place it's got you know jungle and cities and um you know every kind of terrain then they have got to make all these animals which is you know that's that's what ubisoft has a whole studio for It's <laughs> just making the animals all <laughs> their open world games um, and so it's a crazy thing to do as a as an indie team uh, but then also you can possess any of these animals so they've all got to like feel good when you control them which i'm sure must be a completely different set of challenges to making a creature that just animates well that just looks all right when it walks around um and you know they're not like radically different to each other you know if if you possess a cat and then possess a dog i don't think that that they feel dramatically different gameplay wise um but they still have to animate well and and just like a character controller is a different thing to a
0: to an npc controller um Mm. Is and there a point to is, possessing the animals? Or is, uh, is it I have just the pleasure mostly, of being in a different body with a different traversal system?
1: Yeah, I mean, it mostly use it for transport. So any anything flying is great. You can just like soar over the land and get to where you're going really, really fast. Um, although, as I say, almost everything is much, much faster than you. Uh, possessing fish is great for going underwater and like I've got to get some pearls for a quest and you run out of air pretty quickly. So possessing a fish is a nice way to get down deep and then you sort of unpossess them to grab the pearl and then try and repossess a fish to get back up. Um there are most creatures have something unique they can do. With a fish, it's usually just uh I think they call it sprint, <laughs> which is not strictly um <laughs> accurate, but but swim real fast for a little while. Um uh boars can like snuffle around in the dirt, like sort of dig, I think, um, and presumably find treasures uh in some situations, but I, I don't think I've actually hit one of those. Um uh some things will have like a leap action they can do um so i there hasn't been a lot of like gate and key type stuff of like you must be a boar to pass this thing or you you're gonna need an animal that can bite to solve this puzzle uh because it's so open world and it's so uh free form almost all the quests i've had are just like get five pearls and a grass trinket and a live chicken and this and then you just go off and just find those things out in the open world and uh, pursue it in a very open-ended way so yeah the animals i've just mostly used for um getting around and uh and for fun um i did possess a steak that somebody was barbecuing <laughs> <laughs> and then just like flop around their little like open air kitchen <laughs> and freak them out and, and sort of like hop over their fence and just like free uh, run off free into the wilderness. <laughs> so,
0: just- there's some kind of strange metaphysical questions uh, about possessing something that is very dead.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. For some
0: reason, that's more troubling to me than possessing something that was yeah. never alive, like a stone.
1: <laughs> it is weirder, isn't it? Uh, like, I had that feeling when I was doing it. I was like, this is especially strange, even for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a very cute touch of anytime you possess anything to sort of, I guess this wasn't strictly necessary from a sort of readability point of view, but they... Uh, your, your character has a little flower behind her ear and whatever you possess also has a little flower behind its ear so like a fish will just have Aww. a little daisy on it <laughs> inside of it and presumably the steak had a flower on it somewhere i didn't notice it <laughs> but... <laughs> uh,
0: how did you play this because it's not out on steam until march is it was it already released on epic or something
1: uh it's i'm playing it on playstation yeah uh-huh. actually i didn't i didn't know it wasn't out on pc um but yeah it's uh it's good on my controller um and it's just it's a very like sweet and warm game there's a lovely sort of sense of uh kind of community with it like you sort of come from a from a small island community and then the villages you go to are kind of each one is kind of a self-contained community there's a little running joke going on with the two that i'm i'm you know interacting with at the moment where uh each of them keeps telling me like Oh, we have nothing against these other guys but they hate us so you know it's really it's really a shame that we have to be at war and the other village is saying the exact same thing about them like oh, we have nothing against them but they seem to hate us so um you often almost always when you arrive in a village or you meet an npc or something they will uh play a song or sing a song and you have a, a little is it a banjo or a mandolin i can't remember
0: a ukulele um, according to the version.
1: thank you um you have one of them and uh there is a little music mini game to play along with the song that you're that the person is singing. And that is really effective. Um, I don't normally like music games, I uh, just have a bad sense of rhythm and I often I, I usually feel like what I'm doing is not really playing the song. I'm just I'm just playing a mini game and that causes the song to play. Um and if I fuck it up, it'll make a bad noise and that's it. Uh, and this is one of the only ones where I do feel like I'm playing it, I guess, because it is like folk music where there's very few instruments. So I am one of the only things that, <laughs> that is making any noise at all. Um, and, uh, so it just feels very authentic and I'm doing it. Um, I'm very much like role-playing it because it's very, again, it's very chill. It's very generous. There is no, you don't have to pass this segment. You can't fail it. Um, you do get score at the end for how accurate you were, but there's also just a button to just have chia just take over and just play it herself and that has fed into the role-playing part of it and, and made it sort of even even more um i don't know just just really lands for me because i will stumble through the song as best i can like it's a song i don't it's a song your character doesn't know so it feels right that she stumbles with it at first like she she can play her instrument but she's never heard the song before so she's just kind of going with the prompt and trying to follow the the lead of, of whoever's singing with with you um and I'll fumble a bit, and then I'll get the hang of it, and then usually it gets a bit harder, and then that's I'll fumble that a bit, and then I'll, I'll get the hang of that part. And then at some point, my fingers just get tired, and I hit the autoplay button, <laughs> and I just get to sit back and like just enjoy the song. Because if I had to play the whole thing, I would just be like, it would just get annoying, and then my fingers would get tired, and you know I have RSI, so it's especially aggravating if I have to sort of keep doing the, the same actions again and again after I'm done with the gameplay enjoyment of it. Mm. So I love that you can just press a button and say, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm happy that I've, I've had my fun with it. And now Chia can take it from here. And that also fits with the role-playing part of it. of like she's, you know, a skilled musician. So there's this, after that stumbling, faltering phase, she just gets the hang of it and then she can do it. There's no effort. And the fact that mm. I'm not putting any effort as a player matches the fact that, that she can just sort of play it from there. And that, mm. those just feel really nice.
0: It looks quite complicated. There's like sort of like a, a a dial from which you can select notes and keys. Yeah, and it's
1: really just um, you push the thumbstick in the right direction and then press the button as the the notes hit from that direction. But it will it does get oh, I see. very fast, very quickly. So you're you quickly in a situation where like they're coming in from multiple angles, seemingly at the same time, which which would be impossible to do exactly at the same time. So you're having to rapidly flick the stick between two things and
0: <laughs> and hit it. Hmm. Is there a sort of eco message to the game? It, uh, there's like pictures of glowering factories as well as yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I think there's going to
1: be. I haven't got to that yet. I um, went to a big corporate sort of place to try and confront the the villain, I think, um, and got turned away. And now I don't really remember how that relates to what I'm doing now. But uh, that that led to me needing to get some tributes together for local... Um, uh, local folks, I need to impress to get them on my side. To I guess go back there, and I, that whole place had a vibe of like a polluting company. There was a big factory next to it. It does. I will say, you know, I I am uh, shocked that an indie team attempted this. Uh, I won't claim that they completely pulled it off in terms of uh, having a world that can render both jungle and city accurately, because those are such different things. I mean, even Just Cause, kind, it's the one time that Just Cause doesn't feel wildly technically accomplished is when you go to the cities and you think uh, you can tell that you it's hard to make the same engine do both these things um and the cities in this are very kind of bare bones and and uh feel a bit ropey but i've had to spend almost no time in them so far um so most of it's just going through a um a beautiful jungle and uh, and also sailing on the open ocean like this um i really like the way the boat works where it's again wildly generous. You can go insanely fast in any direction, regardless of wind, <laughs> with a single sail. But all it does is um, controlling the strength of the sail and steering the boat are two separate like control stations on the raft. So you need to manually sort of un <laughs> unhook yourself hmm. from one, and move over to the other. So you know you pick up speed, um, then go back to the tiller to to steer, um, and then. Uh, when you're trying to get going, especially in like a narrow river way, there's this, you're, it's almost like a little risk reward game of like, how fast do I dare go and still expect to be able to get back to the controls and steer around this shit at the speed that I'm now going? It looks
0: beautiful. I I, I really like the um uh, the character design. There's a, there's a good screenshot uh, of the of Chia underwater and she's got these kind of big puffed out cheeks like she's holding a lot of air <laughs> in her mouth. It's very, yeah. I don't know. More games need that. Puffed out cheeks. <laughs> and a little daisy behind your ear yeah
1: (laughs) the cosmetic upgrades in this the cosmetic unlocks in this um are uh great because they're all just like they're just clothes that she might like to wear they're not like wacky or or out there And my favourite thing I've unlocked is I can replace my perfectly good ukulele with like an oil can one. (laughs) Doesn't sound any different, but it's just really cute that it's just like an oil can with
0: some strings. Is it climbing in the game as well? It looks like it's climbing in the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's got the Zelda thing of like, there's a pretty short stamina meter. There's also like a hang gliding uh, with a little parachute thingy, um, or paraglider. Yeah, it's, it's very Zelda in that sense, and you can you can upgrade your stamina by finding these stamina fruit um, <laughs> that are just dotted around the world, um, and yeah, all that stuff again is super generous. You can just you can find those pretty easily. Um, rather than like Zelda, it's actually quite a lot of work to upgrade your your stamina. You have got to do a ton of shrines, and then you got to choose that instead of health. And that's, there's always a bit of a awkward tension of um, needing the health to get through boss fights, and but wanting the stamina more. And this is just like, nah, you can just have it. Just find some cool fruit and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and like food is, um, food replenishes your, your possession meter. You know, when you possess something, it's draining over time. Um, but food is just free. You just, any campsite you go to, you just like, uh, you choose to eat food and then just click, like moves over to a uh, a scene of like a, a beautiful uh, dish of food. The plate slides off the, the, the screen and then slides back, finished. <laughs> <And that's it. laughs> Which is it's like a, it's such a good example, book. actually, of like, yeah, it's really efficiently done because, you know, eating animations would, would be uh, a lot of work and and certainly like trying to make the food disappear in the right way would uh, be a ton of work. But just show the food. That's what we want. Like, you want to see the food. You want to think, oh, that looks nice. Uh, and then the empty plate just has a very satisfying, like, wow, she really ate that fast.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, This looks great. I really want to play it.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Um, I'm like I say, I'm like six to eight hours into it. I'm not like burning to sort of see it all the way through. Like I say, the plot has not. I haven't totally hooked into it. Um, I guess I'm curious to see about these these little camps of rug people, or <laughs> see if those uh, if that develops. If I need to engage with that in a, in a bigger way, it's it's somewhat interesting to sort of um, figure out. You know how to efficiently do them because there are there's flammable stuff around, and you can carry things in your inventory. Um, oh yeah, that reminds me. Uh, my my sort of backup mode of transport is I carry a dog in my inventory. <laughs> Because I don't uh-huh. know if you can if you can do this with every animal, but you can pick up dogs. And when you're holding something in your hands, there's the option to just stow it. So you just like stow the dog in your inventory and it just kind of vanishes. And then when I need to get somewhere and I am uh, i don't have a convenient like bird to possess or something, I just get the dog out, put him on the ground, possess him, and then bound around as the dog for a while. And then when I arrive at my destination or I run out of possession juice, uh, come back out of the dog, pick him up, put him back in my inventory. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, figuring out um I, I think that's sort of a potential problem with the the combat side of things is it's just a question of how many fiery things you have and that's just a question of how many inventory slots you want to devote to it and you need the inventory slots to carry things that you need for quests and so that kind of limit is is usually not very fun um uh one thing i do really like about it is that there's always challenges around like like most open world games you know can you dive off this platform in the perfect way can you um uh like I actually don't know what the other challenges are. I haven't done very many of them, um, but when you complete a challenge, you you get a trophy, and the trophy is just a physical object in the level. It just like drops to the ground, <laughs> and uh, you can pick that up and stash it. And sometimes uh, I've had quests where like a trophy of some kind is one of the sort of ingredients I need to make this this tribute thing I'm trying to build um and so you just have to use up one of the trophies that you got for something and if you already have the bonds trophy and you win the silver trophy it's just another physics object <laughs> and so i often just like have those like tumbling down i need to pick something up and i'm down there inventory room and it, i guess i'm just going to drop my gold trophy for diving <laughs> just leave it in the sea here you can also possess your trophies of course
0: <laughs> do they ambulate themselves
1: uh it's got a very um uh consistent approach i would say for for rigid objects that are not animals or whatever uh they are all going to just tumble and spin in the same way and you just have this like you know uh th- this transport force that is unrelated to anything that the object is actually doing
0: <laughs> does it i mean is there is there a reason why Cheer is able to possess objects that's given in the game
1: <laughs> it's magic and she unlocks it early on. I have a feeling it might be implied that she's like this has always been like dormant within her. I don't think she just gained it by like picking something up. I think she was like always special because she's got these uh, two different colored eyes and one of them is very much the possession color and I think I think it might like glow when you possess things. I can't remember. Uh, but I, I get the sense that that is related to her power and she, I think she's always had that and so I think the idea is like She's always had this ability, and it only, it only kind of unlocked when um, her dad was kidnapped, and and you know it became urgent for her to do something about it.
0: Mm.
1: Cool. What have you been
0: playing? I've been playing um, a game which is in some ways superficially similar. I've been playing um, Jusson or oh, yeah. Jusant, uh as you might <laughs> choose to pronounce it, um, which is also uh, a climbing game, although. Cheer isn't primarily a climbing game, I guess, but it's uh, it's from Don't Nod, um, the people who did Life is Strange, amongst other things. It's set in this uh, lost civilization that has encrusted the cliffs of a singular, massive, massive tower of coral and rock that rises from this desert. Uh, and as you you are this uh, young person of indeterminate gender. And you, uh, in a really cool outfit, (laughs) and you uh, you climb it, and you as you climb it, you begin to piece together some of the stuff about the the world, and you realize that the tower was originally surrounded by an ocean, which explains all the shattered boats that you pass and the desert below. And clearly, there's there's also an eco message here to some extent, or at least the climate has very obviously changed, uh, and the life that was in this massive tower has slowly become untenable. All the people who used to live there um, have abandoned the, their livelihoods and left and gone across the desert seeking water elsewhere. But you have returned, and you have brought back with you some sort of this little water goblin um, that you <laughs> keep in a sack, uh, which is very, very cute. It's, a, it's <laughs> some these beautiful little chirpy noises. It's got these big, big eyes. Uh, it does resemble a sort of bright blue ball sack, um, but it's, <laughs> but it's somehow more adorable than that sounds. This is um, sounding
1: like a very you companion. <laughs> well, Goblin I, looks I, like I, a bull sack.
0: <laughs> it's, it's somewhere between a, a, a bull sack and, a, and, um, oh, what are those, uh, those kind of incredibly small, um, creatures that live, uh, microscopic creatures. That, that oh, uh, tardigrades? Like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere between a bull sack and a tardigrade. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's the title. <laughs> um, uh, and I, you know, at, at first I was a little resistant to it because there's something a bit sort of cheap about giving you a really cute companion creature. Um, but by the end of the game, I would, I would have fucking killed for that bullsack. You know, <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's just, it, you know, they, have, they, they operate with exactly the right. I don't know, the, the pitch of the chirrups keys into some instinct within me uh nurturing instinct which is now I'm,
1: I'm really curious to see uh if alex would get along with his companion because i remember him being sort of <laughs> malevolent towards was it the companion <laughs> in uh jedi survivor or uh, jedi yeah
0: bb oh, is it bb8 or is that one in the that's the in the movie i think oh, uh, that's okay. the, the sphere in the movie <laughs> um bd bd is it bd oh who cares anyway yeah i know the one you mean yeah um yeah, I had, Alex has played this actually, so I should ask him <laughs> what he made of the companion. <laughs> but I, I think the thing that really turned it around for me is that you can you can use this companion, uh, who is obviously in some way key to restoring the the, the tower. He seems seems to have some kind of connection with it, uh, and you can press a button and um, uh, this this little goblin thing will clamber up from the sack on, on your back onto your shoulder and then sit on your head and like what would be a Lotus position position if it had a, a long enough arms and sort of meditates <laughs> on top of you. And, uh, it, you can look around the environment and you can see where you're, where you need to go and where things are, because they're kind of highlighted by these mystic auras. Um, <laughs> but there's something really just disp- pleasing about uh, the, his little Zen pose as he's sitting on top of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you
1: know? You um, said so you've you've like returned to this place. It sounds like maybe you've returned to this place because you've got the ball set goblin. <laughs> like he's why you come back to restore water, maybe? Or is that something I- you know? I-
0: I mean it's it's not clear what your purpose is specifically at the beginning but I think you could yeah, that would be an, a very early guess as to what you're doing yeah um and it's it's there's quite I mean I've been playing a lot of games uh, recently in the last year where you, you have in fact this shares quite a lot of similarities in in like uh, iconography with Chance of Senar which I played last year and also Cocoon uh, in that they're they're both like cocoon is uh, you 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 are performing some vital role to the world you're in, but you don't understand it, and it's quite opaque. And it, it's you know uh, it's a world with a different language and and systems to, to what you are as a player familiar with, um, and that's true here. And also, Chance of Senna, you're you're going through this culture which is organised again around a massive tower, which is in some way unknowable to you, and your point your purpose for doing so is un- unknowable to you at the beginning of the game. But both of those games are very good at motivating you to do the thing that you're doing, uh, without really knowing why you're doing it, even though your character in the world knows why they're doing it, presumably. Mm. And it's the same yeah, here, like, like-, like
1: climbing something is, is quite a nice sort of primal instinct of just show the player a big tall thing that they can climb. They're going to want to climb it. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clear about which direction you're going to go in. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's helpful. Um, but uh, b- b- I mean, to talk about the climbing, I think it's like I-, I don't know how Chia manages it. You said it was a bit like the the um, the system in Zelda, where there's like a stamina yeah. bar, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's similar in this, uh, except you you control the grip of your left and right hand independently with the triggers, and your your arms sort of reach out automatically for holds, but you can direct them more explicitly to some extent. And then you grip onto things and uh, alternately you, you know, use the triggers to kind of move up and up the rock face, reaching for alternate holds. Uh, and you ha- do have a stamina bar, which, which operates in quite a, a slightly more um, nuanced way than I, I think at least the first Elder Game had it, which is that um, the stamina bar does deplete with activity, um, but you can refill it by by just resting on the rock face. You hold a button to specifically oh, yeah. kind of relax. However, it all the whole bar also gets gradually smaller uh, across the course of the climb, depending on what kind of actions you're taking. If you're like leaping, making big, bold moves, it de- you know, big chunks of it are taken out, essentially. So you do need to have a plan, even though there's quite a lot of forgiveness in terms of how the stamina is recouped. Um, and you're, you're roped up as well, which is different from a lot of the games I've played with climbing. Um, and initially, you rope up to the bottom of the climbing face, um, but then you can place like an, a, a limited number of pitons um, as you go, so that you can right, place nice. them pretty much anywhere. But you like quick saves. Uh, yeah, well, sort of. I mean, I mean, it is a quick save, but it also has a mechanical function as well. In that, if you if you fall, you hang from that point, and sometimes you do that intentionally because you can uh, then right. swing from it. And you can either swing across gaps or you can run across the rock face to reach like uh, some other handhold at the end of that arc. Um, And the the rope is also limited uh, in length. Um, And although that doesn't, it's it's odd actually, because it only tests that really right at the end of the game, uh, but it tutorializes it right at the beginning. I completely (laughs) forgotten that that was a thing that could happen. You could run out of rope, but um, it does, it does eventually test you. And there are places where you'll need to find ways to sort of, descend and unpick lower pitons that you placed in order to kind of huh. reduce the the rope length overall um and it's it's what's just your... a really it's really if... good <laughs> awesome uh, what's the thing i was gonna ask is like
1: what, if you're like roped to the bottom of the slope the, the face and then you get to the top uh how do you like get your rope back do you, do you like does it just magically detach
0: yes so you have this sort of i mean, it, it's uh it's it's obviously a clever rope <laughs> in some way. <laughs> uh, it, um, it unattaches and, and, and uh, spools back in rapidly as well, and you can also th- fire it at points as well, occasionally to latch onto certain things. Um, but it sort of takes that 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 uh, some of the, the the difficulties of climbing out of the, out of the kind of equation in order to kind of retain quite a lot of the tactile experience of climbing. Uh, and the engagement of some of the the things you need to think about whilst also making it reducing the degree to which it is actually taxing you. So it's it feels like it wants you to experience climbing but without too much of the challenge of it. i yeah. I, I found it's 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 not a difficult game by any means and i but I found that the difficulty was judged well in that it found this sweet spot where it wasn't, um, pushing back on you but there was just enough friction for you to understand and be constantly engaged and thinking about what you're doing physically um which is yeah. which is unusual i've not found that with a lot of games either you know a, a, difficulty is often punishment i i feel uh in games and uh there's there's ways of w- in which you can engage with uh what you're being asked to do which don't require failure being a part of it i think
1: yeah, for sure. I've, I actually, it was a while before I learned that there was anything uh, like fantasy-ish about this game. Like, because there's, it's so hard-coded in me that if a game is about something like climbing that it is a simulation game designed to simulate climbing in the real world. And that it would just be a straightforward simulation. Even though it's by Dontnod, which would seem very out of character for them. i just like, oh, that's weird that they're making a pure simulation game <laughs> without ever checking <laughs> that it was a pure simulation game. But I think that's kind of interesting that it sort of probably speaks well of the game in the sense that like, it's just very rare for a game to be so interested in one aspect of traversal in a fantasy context, you know, without... Mm. Without it being like we want to, we want hardcore real life climbers to buy this, and and you know the way that like trucking simulator <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and other sim games are just sort of like um, that they, they live to serve the the fantasy of the the real thing. Um, it's cool that they are interested in going in depth in that mechanic in a fantasy world, and it sounds like they actually get like it sounds like it's probably. Uh, a better way to make a good game out of this uh, this mechanic if you can have a bit of magical leeway of like the rope can be a little bit smart and some of the mm. things that would just be boring you could just skip.
0: Yeah, it takes the chore out of it, I think. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's the essential part. I mean, it, it does also... I mean, that's pretty much it for the entire game. They do escalate things in a bunch of not especially extravagant ways later on, some of which were more like w- work better than others uh mostly because some of them cause the collision system to freak out a bit and that that, <laughs> is, that is actually genuinely frustrating in a way in which i don't think the devs intended but there's uh there's points where there's like moving handholds which are these sort of little wood lice uh essentially that you grab onto and they can they carry you up yeah certain paths <laughs> but then slow down as you as you weigh upon them so you need to change um and then there's wind becomes a factor at certain points and um but i think i think actually the, all of those feel a little kind of uh gimmicky and a, a little shallow they do sort of like provide enough difference to keep things interesting but the actual kind of thing that I, I found most exciting was that the 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 space changes so that you move from like external rock faces to vertical shafts within the tower and simply because you have Uh, the addition of like loads of geometry that lies on all sides of you, the designers have a lot of extra surfaces to play with when they're, they're creating these paths for you to think about and, and, and take. And suddenly you aren't just, you know, looking up, you're, you're trying to discover ways that you can ping pong up and around this negative space. And you're like Hmm. plotting a much more complex route in three dimensions up through this space, which is, which is uh, very exciting, but it's, It's also a really beautiful game visually and also sonically. Like it has one of the most beautiful scores I've heard in a long time. But it has this – I wonder if you know if there's like an industry shorthand for the the rendering style it's gone for where it has this very crisp – uh, low texture detail almost no texture detail they may be like a change of color sometimes on a texture but uh not it's not not a million miles from how uh tactical breach wizards actually approaches rendering the environment well like most services are fairly single noiseless color but then the, it, the the geometric detail is is accented by quite a quite a, a rich rendering system is there oh. a way is there a phrase for that <laughs>
1: Uh, you would have to ask our artist John Roberts because I don't know how he does anything.
0: <laughs> Let's call it the Roberts method. Uh, <laughs> even though I think, I mean, I, I guess um, in, Inside also had it. Uh, they they called it something like low complexity, high rendering, or something like that. But uh, right. but it, it looks really good, and it's, it's got a beautiful. Um, lighting gradients and lighting effects. And you really sense the temperature of the places that you're in. Um, and there's just enormous amounts of attention given to the environments as well. Like this is a place where people lived in, uh quite complex lives. And there's this, the architecture is quite, I mean, it's a visually arresting in itself, but it's also thought about to a degree, what, what a culture would be like if it was used to um, a vertical living on the side of a cliff and also like a half forgotten memory in the culture of of being a sea seagoing <laughs> um, people and so there's you know, a lot of the kind of um, uh, the locations have nautical feeling things even though there's obviously no no sea to be seen and and they're all just beautifully cluttered with props and and they really nicely describe the, what people were doing here and periodically find these shells which your character can listen to and the camera cuts away to these various like still life scenes within the, the like the immediate derelict environment and it you hear all the echoes of the life that was once there and it's really good at just wordlessly telling the story of this place in a really evocative way but then mm-hmm. It also chooses to tell the story of the place with a fuck ton of words as well, <laughs> and it totally shatters the illusion. <laughs> yeah, it was a
1: little like my eyebrow went up when you said wordlessly because I, I thought I'd seen like a bunch of
0: text and stuff in this game. Yeah, it's it's strange because the character never speaks. The character is is you know, just ooh, yeah, ooh, all this you know, uh, <laughs> but you know, very characterful communication, even though it's it's wordless, and the space speaks to you so. So clearly, and but you know mysteriously and uh, invitingly, and it invites your imagination and your curiosity. But then you're constantly finding these letters between people called like Bianca and Phil. and <laughs> and, and, and like somehow, these letters contain multiple correspondences back and forth, and they're just people talking like, really directly and boldly about how it sucks that there's no water anymore and it's (laughs) it's, the thing is they aren't badly written like I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't criticise the writing of it per se I just think that as like a a delivery for the narrative it's 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 not the not the most effective choice when they had all these other really effective choices that they'd already made I
1: know I know developers are using environmental storytelling and they're all cowards (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, do, I I guess there were some ways in which they felt like the player needed to know more stuff and that was not easy to communicate wordlessly, but uh, Yeah, I
1: guess I can, they're quite a sort of writing heavy studio in terms of their past work, right? I mean, life is strange mm-hmm. anyway.
0: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I don't know what those people would have done on this project had they decided not, <laughs> not to have the writing, but I don't know. It just, it, it didn't really work for me that a lot of it's written in quite a easy to understand modern vernacular as well, which is, which is fine. Like that makes total sense as to, you know, what people would be talking about and how, but it also of kind say, of say,
1: do any of them say hella?
0: <laughs> no, it's not quite that. Uh yeah, it's modern, hella dry uh, out here. <laughs> <laughs> hella dry. Yeah. But it, it's, it's just enough to kind of pull you away from like, like oh, walking through these abandoned ruins this mencolic sense of wonderment that i'm you know and then it's just you know people talking about how their their kid was naughty at school or something like that it just feels <laughs> it sort of trivializes it um
1: how did you get on with the outer wilds in terms of a game that's you know, heavy on environmental storytelling but then also has a lot of direct text of people talking about what's going on
0: yeah i don't remember uh exactly how i responded to the text in that game I didn't get very terribly far with it because I uh, it made me feel very anxious about the challenges <laughs> that I had to <laughs> overcome. Um, yeah, yeah. Does that have a lot of kind of vernacular it's, as well?
1: Uh, I I was fine with it um, because um, it's the people you're you're discovering the the writings of are all kind of engineers. They're, it's like a kind of engineering mm. people. And that's how they've got here. They're all like space nerds. And so all of their discussions with each other are focused on the mechanics of what's going on and, and what they've discovered and what they're trying, what projects they're working on and how. And they have a little right. bit of personal stuff and little, you know, they make little jokes to each other and stuff. But it felt very, uh, you know, it just fit in the context because everything in that game is a scientific marvel and I'm fascinated by it too, and they're fascinated by it. And so it just, you know, it all fit together.
0: Right, yeah. But I I feel like a lot of what you're learning from them is... I mean, you're learning stuff from them, right? That game would be very difficult if there was none of that text in it. Is that right? Yeah. You are reliant on the text in some way. It's additive, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, Whereas I feel like most of the stuff you're reading in this isn't terribly additive in that you kind of know it's it's just explicit it's just making explicit what you kind of already intuited and actually the intuition was more satisfying than just re- reading it being you know stated in more bold terms yeah uh, yeah, yeah I, feel, actually- I feel a little bit weird about that because one of the i don't know one of the satisfactions of reading like genuine ancient texts in translation is that people back then we're just as obsessed with the sort of petty nonsense that we are today so there's something quite pleasing about like reading an ancient sumerian wide boy bullshitting his debtors, (laughs) you know or like or you know a roman cursing a guy who's banged his missus or something like that yeah did you ever go to
1: um the the baths in bath and Mm. and see the the lead messages that people have thrown in the baths
0: yeah um, <laughs> people were cursing hither and thither for all sorts of things
1: yeah there was a brilliant one um that was uh someone basically using emergent gameplay with with religion where they said um uh a lot of them about people having having their sandals or toga stolen <laughs> because they're in the bards, and so like so the, the idea is you write a message to the gods you fold it up uh on a piece of lead you fold it up so that no one else can read it then you throw it in the the you know, sacred waters, and that the gods will get your message and and answer your your plea. And so, a lot of the pleas are just like this: "Fucker stole my sandals," or this guy stole my toga, because <laughs> um, those are bath-related problems. Um, but one guy was uh, said, um, "Oh, I, uh, someone has stolen my sandals, so I bequeath them to uh, is it Aquasulis, Sulis, the, the the god of yeah. uh, of water or whatever, so that she may extract vengeance." So it's like. <laughs> genius like i own these sandals someone's taken them from me but because i still own them i'm allowed to just give them to a god now you've stolen a god's sandals motherfucker (laughs) see how that works out for you (laughs) and someone else was like oh um uh somebody stole my toga uh and i'd like you to you know uh figure out who it was and an exact punishment on them uh I think it was either this guy, this guy, this guy, or this guy, which is hilarious to me because they're like, well, God will be able to figure out who's guilty, but I better give them a short list. Like, they're busy. They don't want to have to look through every person who's ever lived. They <laughs> better narrow down the suspects.
0: Well, you know, gods were were petty themselves back then. Maybe they would have <laughs> probably appreciated not being put to work quite as much. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that, I mean, so it's a hypocrisy, really, uh, for me to, to find – the stuff that's being written here too trivial? Because I mean, obviously there is a pleasure in, in going through an environment and learning about how, how people, the kind of verite of how people used to live in the past. But for some reason, it doesn't quite strike the right tone for me here. It feels dissonant with everything else that's going on. And like uh, so much of what what's being told to you is, Is like in the environment itself, you know, it's clear that people who left hurriedly and abandoned things they couldn't carry, but they really cared about these spaces. And you can infer from that that, you know, it must have been hard to leave. And then you pick up a letter and it goes, boy, oh boy, is it hard to leave these places hurriedly? (laughs) (laughs) And then you pick up another 20 that say more or less the same thing. And it just feels a bit kind of duplicative and uh, not... I don't know, a bit redundant. But I don't know what else... Because obviously there's there's a mechanical satisfaction of finding things in the environment. You know, what other things can we put in the environment to engage players? Like there's little stones of rocks that you can put another rock on uh, on top of and there are, you know, uh, frescoes that you can look at and things like that. So there's kind of... There's like a a collectathon aspect to it. Uh, but I think in this regard, it sort of underm- undermines it.
1: I feel like you can have text... Well, what I would always want is I like piecing things together. I like it to be a little bit of a puzzle. So I want to find things, you know, out of order and just find, oh, this is, you know, this guy replying to this person, but I don't know what he's replying to. And then later find out what they were replying to and sort of have that, that sort of light of revelation of like, ah, this is how this fits into this piece. Rather than it sounds like these are all pretty, you know, just like I say, repeating things you already know and stressing things you might, that would otherwise have been left implied.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, like a, a, a philosophy yourself when it comes to where and how to do narrative? Because a, 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 most your games mechanically haven't demanded a narrative, but you've always come up with one which does feel additive and yet not obstructive at the same time.
1: Um, Yeah, it's always been uh, uh, like primary thing to make sure it's, it's very optional and very sort of skippable and like you don't need to, absorb it all to understand how to play the game and if you're not interested you can just uh skip right past it um and wizards is definitely like our most narrative heavy one and there are times when if you don't read any of the conversation that happens before the mission you won't have that much context for what you're doing but but then the objectives are still very clear Um, with this one we're just trying to it's just been like there's way too much to to get through. There's there's too much we need to explain and need to talk about and and service character arcs. And and I've I've put a much bigger narrative burden on myself than I probably should have. Um, And so we've been, it's just been a case of like making sure the stuff that's on the critical path is really to the point and serves only the most important beats. And then there's optional conversations that you just sort of unlock as you go, where if you're interested in what the hell this local religion is, why not talk to the member of your team who's from here and and ask them about that stuff? Um, and yeah, that we, we haven't done anything like Juson, where it's sort of like it sounds like it's almost like a collectible. It's sort of like a reward for progress. Um, mm. I think that stuff is. I'm interested in trying something like that. I, I um, you know, that the reason. I usually try and make narrative as skippable as possible is that I am the kind of player who wants to skip it in a lot of games, like not every game. I, I love story when it's done well, but in, I often think it's not done well. And as soon as you lose me in a, in a story, I never want to see any more of the story. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to skip everything from then on. And you don't get another chance to get me back on board. Um, and it's very, I, I'm kind of fascinated by this idea of like making story, the thing that you're seeking out. That's why I love information games like the Outer Wilds and um, Her Story where you have to care about the story because that's your goal is to understand the story. And so right, any little yeah. scrap of new information is exciting and it's like, oh, wow, I've got to learn more about this. And and you want to absorb it and you, your urge to progress rather than pushing you to skip story to progress faster, pushes you to absorb the story more deeply to progress faster. Um, and yeah, part of that, is if you wanted to weave that into a into a more traditional game type um then using story as a reward is uh is one way to go but again this would be in the context of like a game where you're piecing the story together so it would often be you know difficult to understand in isolation and it would all be about collecting it so that you're forming this kind of tapestry of what happened and you know you need a good interface for that the game's kind of got to be about that for that to work Uh, I remember the Outer Wilds folks saying that um, they would always, because, you know, the Outer Wilds and, and its DLC are, uh, they're not Metroidvanias or anything. You don't, you don't need anything to progress. You know, there is no progression really except just what you understand. Um, And so for everything that they, every, you know, treasure they put behind a locked door that you need to figure out how to get past, there's a, the, the information is is um uh is the reward but they don't know for sure that you don't already know the information because almost everything could be figured out some other way you could stumble yeah. into an accident you could just sort of intuit it um and so they try to always pair uh any mechanical revelation with also a sort of story payload of like and now see you know in, in outer wilds the base game it would be a, a bunch of you know uh, text but the conversations between characters that that might reveal more about them um and in the dlc which is wordless um there are sort of uh pictorial de- depictions of what happened sort of slideshows of, of hmm. things happening so you piece together a bit more of the backstory of what they what happened there just so that if you just in case you didn't care about this <laughs> mechanical revelation <laughs> here's a bit of story payload to sweeten the deal so you don't feel like you did this for nothing
0: yeah i'm sure there were decisions made in production which took them down this this route probably because writing's cheap and uh illustration animation are probably uh, more expensive but you're planning to make a roguelike at some point right tom yeah are you planning to make a deck builder roguelike
1: no i don't think so Um, (laughs) i love deck builder roguelikes but i don't when i play them i don't think i can make one of these (laughs) i think i don't know how this is working (laughs)
0: Um, well, I mentioned this like because a, uh, I've, I've been playing a lot of Cobalt Core. And I know yeah. um, from the uh, toast pop-ups on the bottom right of my screen that you play a lot of Cobalt Core as well. <laughs> uh, I was watching your, um, you, you put out a, um, a little YouTube video recently about what your kind of goals for the, for the next game were going to be. Mm. One of them was that it was going to be roguelike. And then you also had uh, a bunch of points about how you're going to uh, approach narrative in the next game. But like those two things, like uh, you are always presented with, like every roguelike i've played has come up with a very very minutely different metaphor for why (laughs) a time loop is occurring (laughs) Uh, which is obviously the case in cobalt core where you're this spaceship and you're stuck stuck in a time loop which ultimately needs needs you to fight versions of yourself and stuff like this but it's um done in this very kind of glib and, and funny style um very lightweight in terms of the narrative but um are, are there other explanations for why the game is a roguelike narratively than <laughs> you are stuck in a time loop?
1: I'm the plan. Well, so I have a sort of an idea for the next game that is uh, I don't know if it will do it because it might be overscoped. But the plan in that one, it, it wouldn't be a time loop, it would just be that you, you survive death essentially. So you do die, you lose everything. The sort of the dungeon that you're in or whatever it is is very self contained. And when you die, you find yourself back at the top, but uh, time is not reset. You're still in the same world um, and you have the memories of of what you just experienced but you lost all the loot that you picked up while you were down there, Um, which is sort of what Hades does as well. Um, You know, time is not reset in that the the home base can progress Um, and it's just that you are immortal, essentially. Um, Oh yeah. And I think um, it's not Worth spending too much effort or time on on <laughs> on it, or at least it shouldn't be the shouldn't be a central feature of a game to ex- try and explain this in a new way. I feel like because it's just players don't need an explanation; they know what a roguelike is. They're they're ready yeah. for it. They're not they're not when they die and they start again. They're like, what? How is this happening?
0: <laughs> oh, I, th- I think Cobalt Core manages to hit that pretty well and that it's it is primarily very very funny uh in an extremely yeah. slight way do you should i explain what it is do you want to explain what it is you're probably better better equipped to explain what it is than i am yeah can i
1: can have a go um first i should say that uh combat core is published by brace yourself games and i do have a professional relationship with them i'm also friends with the developers of combat core uh and but it's great and i would be saying that anyway <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Yeah, it is a roguelike deck builder and it's uh slay the spire meets ftl in that you are you are slash have a spaceship (laughs) and you are slash have a crew (laughs) um and you're playing cards to you know deal damage or or add shield or um or move your ship which is the sort of its own unique twist um, it has what it calls a one-dimensional combat system, <laughs> which means that um, your ship can move left or right and the guns just fire directly up and the enemy guns fire directly down. And so whether your gu- guns are aligned with the enemy ship or not is just a factor of where you, the two of you are. And so if you're not aligned with them, then you need to play some dodge uh, or evade. Um, and that lets you just manually move your ship left or right. And then there are some cards that will automatically move you two spaces to the left or things like that um and so it is uh nice sort of chunky damage numbers like FTL um and uh you know deck building like like Slay the Spire very similar um overworld to to uh, Slay the Spire i i had an interesting experience uh, cuz i'm friends with the slay the Sp- sorry i'm friends with the FTL folks as well um and uh we were playing i think it actually was Cobalt core or, or we talking about roguelike and i was saying oh yeah it uses the I think one of them said, oh, it uses the, the Slay the Spire uh, you know, map system. And I said, oh, surely the FTL map system, isn't it? And then they reminded me that, like, no, that's not how FTL's map works. In FTL, you don't know what any of the nodes are. You, you get some, like, some of them are loosely classified, but it's actually just a sort of mystery map. And uh, the Slay the Spire thing of, like, you know exactly what all the, all the nodes are and you just got to figure out what your route is going to be through it um, is very different. And yeah, Cobalt Core has that, so you can see what they all are. Um, and uh, yeah, the one-dimensional combat system works really well. It's uh, it's one of those things that's sort of really elegant. in that It's very simple, but it really genuinely adds something to it. It doesn't feel like Slay the Spire. It doesn't feel like FTL, um, but it works with both roguelikiness and deck-buildiness.
0: Yeah, I was, I was expecting there to be... Because the, the, the way your ship looks quite modular... Uh, and the fact that the this the developer's previous game was um, Sunshine Heavy Industries, a game in which you do build modular spaceships <laughs> in a, a spaceships breaker's yard, um, I, I I keep on thinking. I mean, I, I don't know if this is something that happens later in the game where you can reformat your ship at all, but. At the moment, it seems like you're stuck with the the one ship until you uh, unlock other specific types of ship. Is that right? Yeah,
1: there are, there are some events that there's one that's just like, hey, do you want me to add a girder and like three spaces into your ship? <laughs> and your oh, cool. like, is uh, like, maybe, <laughs> and then they do it, and then it's just like, okay, cool. And it just means like, if a shot <laughs> if a shot goes there, it misses. I was actually surprised in the opposite direction because I looked at the art for these ships and assumed they were, you know, that they they weren't modular. That it was all you know this one cohesive hole and then to find out that they can just they can also one event can like swap two parts of your ship <laughs> and uh the fact that those bits can be shuffled around and it still looks good is is pretty remarkable
0: oh good i'm glad that stuff is in there because I, I i obviously haven't uh hit the rng or played enough loops to, to encounter that stuff yet i think i've only i think i've won twice now the um uh, or at least successfully completed a loop twice. So I'm, I'm only a, a few hours in really. So I haven't so have seen you, that many different things. Have you unlocked things.
1: any um, pilots and ships?
0: Uh, I've not unlocked any new ships. I've unlocked character. Although uh, uh, I forgot to select them uh, <laughs> in, <laughs> embarking on the new loop. So I, I don't know what they, they're actually That's like. quite
1: a unique thing about this, especially compared to those two influences, is that you pick three crew members and a ship at the start of your run. And those, especially the crew members, will determine your deck. Um, and that's a lot of like power to give the player in terms of like shaping what their run is going to be like. And it affects the difficulty of the game a fair bit. Like I would say that there are some loadouts. There's some some selections of crews are just going to be very difficult. Because <laughs> like, you know, a crew member can specialize. One of them specializes in shields. One of them specializes in damage, basically. Uh, one of them's um, uh, all about drones. and uh, if you just didn't take any of the damage specialized specialty characters i think you'd probably struggle um it tends to be that that uh damage ones are kind of the core i would say if you take too much damage um i don't think you're in that much trouble i think you'll probably be able to <laughs> like uh, muddle through that um but yeah it's it's that, that's something i'm a little bit torn on it where i like the freedom and i like customizing it but i think when i think about the you know Slay the Spire I've played for 800 hours and Monster Train for for I think like 200 or something um and there is actually Monster Train is arguably shares some of that issue where where you don't really know what difficulty you're playing on because you don't know if the squad you selected is a is a bad one <laughs> or a good one. So you could say like, well, it's part of the game to choose the right squad, choose a squad that's gonna be effective. But then that's not really what the game wants you to do. And it's not really what you want to do because you don't wanna play as the same people every time. right? You don't wanna just figure out who the best squad is and then stick with that. And so I f- that's one thing I find a little bit awkward is I kind of want to know, am I playing a hard one? Like if I, if I pick these three guys and then I do really badly, uh is there is that because i just need to figure out how to play that build better or did i just pick a really hard build
0: yeah there's some i mean i know like i said i'm very early in it but there are some things about it which are uh quite opaque to me i I wasn't quite sure how to manage uh or at least quite only just now have i had a loop where i had sufficient means to remove cards from my deck like all the preceding games yeah. I've played of it, very very few opportunities to to weed out cards that are that I don't want, um, and that's meant that it's been very difficult for me to kind of like em- employ a strategy <laughs> basically. Um, right. But I, I don't know if that's just something that they were they were somehow easing me into, or or whether that's uh, as vulnerable to RNG as as I feel it is currently.
1: Yeah, that sounds like just bad luck to me because I find it pretty generous on removing cards oh, okay. Slay the Spire. Like Slay the Spire, you've got to pretty much shop. So the main way of doing that and you have to pay for it at the expense of buying new cards and the price of it keeps going up and up and up until it becomes just prohibitive. Whereas and Cobalt Core, every repair yard, you can do it and it's free. Um, you do. You is are it? passing up the chance to upgrade oh, yeah. instead, or
0: well, that's. Or, I mean, that, so yeah. I mean, this. This. I, I suppose that's that's the thing that I, I find uh, emotionally tricky about it is that like I, coming up with builds which have with throw out throw up a bunch of really neat synergies is like the fun for me in these games, and so pruning cards down to a fun build is like core to me enjoying the game. And yet Mm. making repairs are a matter of survival. So it's Uh, like, it's a, it's a frustrating trade-off for me. It's like, it's like, okay, you can survive in this run, but you'll enjoy it less. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, you know, you can, you can cut the cards, but you're probably going to die before you reach the end. And I I don't know if that feels, um, um, that feels quite a difficult and not essentially pleasurable decision for me to make, but then I'm a, I'm a sort of odd player for these sort of games because I don't, uh, I'm not generally so enwrapped by deck builders or roguelikes that I want to replay them endlessly uh, until the RNG gives me the treat that I want. I basically just want treats because uh, <laughs> I have yeah. a spare half an hour to enjoy myself, um, which is why I've liked the deck builders that I like uh, or have liked a lot in the past, all ones which uh, have have a finality to them i really liked Thronebreaker, and i enjoyed inscription <laughs> because they 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 use that deck building in service to a, a finite narrative arc did you play monster train uh i played it a bit but i felt like that was probably just going to be f- another forever game which i i don't have space for
1: yeah in my life. it is a forever game but um it's the one that that uh i feel like every run you you get to have a crazy build um know it's very generous with with letting you scale and then it's it's difficulty comes from the fact that that you have to scale like you have to find something crazy broken because the (laughs) the enemies are going to get crazy broken um and so that's that's a very different vibe to slay the spire for me for Cobalt core i mean it's interesting because i've always had a bit of a reservation about slay the spires uh campfires where you must choose between healing yourself or upgrading your cards because it's a snowballing thing. Because if you don't need to heal yourself, then of course you upgrade. And then someone who's finding the run easy finds the run easier because their deck is a mm. better. And someone who's finding the run difficult has the decision you're talking about, which is like, well, I need to heal because I'm injured. But if I don't improve my deck, I'm going to keep getting injured. And so it's kind of a snowball in either either direction. It's, in Slay This By, sort of, I think probably in both games, the same thing is true, which is, if you are needing to heal a lot at those things probably the run is already fucked. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. it's um uh it, it's pretty rare it's like the spirit's it's it's um you know that's a game i find much harder than cobalt core um and i it's rare that i use the healing thing at all uh when i do it's sort of an exceptional thing of like oh shit i just got really unlucky on that last fight i'm really suffering and i'm about to go into a boss fight i do need the the health but so do it's you an tend to play emergency i'll go for the upgrade
0: do you tend to play quite conservatively then and and use a lot of evasion to avoid being hit rather than uh sticking it out and trying to land shots as many as you can
1: uh in cobalt core
0: yeah um
1: yeah i guess um i've generally found the game fairly easy and then i haven't bothered going up the difficulty levels <laughs> like um, uh, i did a video on it a while back and it was a little bit uh, awkward because uh, i just got a, a really overpowered build and it was became really clear i should have played on a harder difficulty because i was just stomping everything i lost i think two health in the whole run and that was from an event that causes you to overheat that like no enemy ever hit me, <laughs> um, right. and uh, I—that's kind of what I get out of Cobalt Core over Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire has no easy mode; there is no difficulty on which Slay the Spire is like a guaranteed win for me. Um, whereas Cobalt Core, I, uh, especially with sort of the a uh, fairly standard crew, um, uh, I can uh, get through it pretty reliably. Um, so yeah, I'm not—I wouldn't say I'm focusing on on defense that much but yeah i've either got the shield guy with me or the dodge guy with me and right. uh going on those some of the relics you can get in that game are very good and anything that's like gives you more dodge uh or shield at the start of each fight is great yeah usually, usually once you can get off the ground you can take it from there but and it's just like the early game uh can be hairy
0: yeah, I, 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 the the loop I'm currently on uh, is is feels very promising in that at, at the start of every round I get an absolute fuck ton of, of uh, evasion, which doesn't expire right; it lasts across the course yeah. of the the match. Uh, so I don't actually need to to spend it. Uh, and then uh, I, I guess the, the the build I'm going for is m- maximal shields uh, and shields that beget shields, and then uh, eventually. Uh, that the amount of shielding that I have can be uh, turned into direct damage as well with a, another oh, card, nice. uh, which is very satisfying to play because uh, you feel like they they just they just can't they can't get you, nothing they can do <laughs> yeah. to you can touch you. And It's very very pleasing.
1: Yeah, it's quite generous in that. Of like like there are some builds that are just super powerful. Um, and also, I think I have always lent into overcharge. There's there's mm. two words. For it. No, overdrive and power drive, right? Is that the two? Anyway, one of them is temporary strength and the other one is, is long-term strength. Um, and because the damage values in this game are like one or two, having plus one to that is insane. <laughs> yeah. And some of them, like there's a card that um, multi-shot, which I think by default does two damage twice. Um, or does it just do one damage twice? Um, but it can be upgraded to be like, Uh, that much damage three times and then if you have even one overdrive then you're adding one to it three times (laughs) and that's just an insane amount of damage and so the scaling can be uh i guess maybe sudden is the word like it's not necessarily (laughs) easy because it depends on what cards you get but when you do get it it's going to absolutely end the fight
0: (laughs) yeah there's a particularly delicious one which uh does uh damage to your enemy equal to all of the amount of damage that they would do to you from all their various guns that turn. And then if you've got like uh, a bunch of overdrive uh, going at the same time, you can do like uh, uh, multiples of 16 (laughs) of damage, which is is extremely pleasurable. (laughs) Yeah. I love that stuff.
1: Um, I wonder if I would be pushing the difficulty more if it wasn't for that crew selection thing of like not really knowing whether the crew I selected is harder or easier because um, I, I could just stick with like the crew i think is best and then see what the highest difficulty i can do with that is because i that wouldn't necessarily lead to me playing the same crew over and over again i might play it and then think oh, i kind of wish i had more you know uh more damage or 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 more dodge or something and change them out um but i do feel like like with unlocks um it's kind of an open question as to whether when you unlock something and i like should it allow you to be more effective or is it there to add extra challenge? Because I think that's why I never really cared about the long locks and FTL is they almost all added more challenge, which is makes sense because people who are doing well at the game and are playing the game a lot probably do want more challenge. But for me, with FTL, I'd unlock a new ship. i try it and think, oh, this is much worse than the default ship. (laughs) This makes my life really hard. And some people see that as, great, a challenge. I'm going to solve this. And for me, I'm like, why would I take this? This is just a worse ship. (laughs) I'll just stick with the good ship, thanks. Um, And Cobalt Core isn't... It's much harder to say. I mean, some of the ships you unlock are just straight up better. Um, But a lot of them are just weirder (laughs) and therefore harder. There's one that um, every time... You play the leftmost card in your hand, it moves left. And every time you play the rightmost card in your hand, it moves right. <laughs> and I, I just breaks my brain. I just like can't deal with it. Because <laughs> I just forget about it again and again and again. And I'll be like, oh, I need to play this card, which happens to be on the left, without noticing it's on the left. I play it, my ship moves to the left. I'm like, no! <laughs> That's the worst thing that could have happened. Now all my guns are misaligned. I'm going to take a ton of damage. I can't undo it. I've got nothing to recover from. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's, there's been a few times where I've I've built up what I think is going to be the killing volley, only to launch it into into thin space. <laughs> Very
1: straight. Have you encountered that ship that dodges when you shoot it?
0: Yes. I
1: fucking hate that guy. <laughs> I cannot again. I can't get my head around it. Even when it's telling me, you know, when this ship is the first time you shoot this ship, it's going to move to the left far enough to avoid your shot. And so if you're shooting with the left hand side of it, that means it's going to move really far and your guns are going to fire from left to right. And so that's all the information you need. There's no mystery to it, but I just can't visualize it. And every time I'm surprised because it, like, it's going to move and then it's going to shoot you potentially. So it might move into position where it can shoot you where previously it couldn't, or it might move out of position where it was going to shoot you and now it's not. Uh, and also your first gun that fires might move it out of the way of your second gun. <laughs> it's just every time it happens, I'm like, what? Why did that happen? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's a little too too much for my for my brain to be able to simulate <laughs> in advance of it happening.
1: Yeah, I, I wish uh, it had an undo button. I was requesting yes. that early on. Um, but then I'm a, you know, that's a me thing. I want undo buttons and everything pretty much. <laughs> like obviously there are some cards. If, if a card draws cards, then obviously you shouldn't be able to undo that. Um, anything that reveals information. But it was so common for me to just play a card and not realize what the consequences would be. Like uh, drones are... Uh, I'm always caught out by the fact that if you have a drone that you've already launched or or anything that's in front of your, your drone bay I'm always like okay so if I launch a drone now it will destroy that thing and if it's my own drone that's bad but sometimes I just need to play that card for some other reason. So I launch it and I forget that it destroys the thing that's in the way and it destroys the drone you launched. So the space ends up empty. So you're just like, I've just destroyed two of my own drones and achieved nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I need the undo. Good game. I like it a lot. (laughs) I like it a lot. Have you played anything else you want to talk about, Tom? Yeah. So, um...
1: Graham and I uh, play co-op games together on a semi-regular basis, and uh, we a while back we tried Payday Three because I've never played a Payday game, uh, I don't think at all, uh, or if I have, I've never gotten to like a proper game of it because it's a multiplayer-focused thing and it's primarily a shooter. Um, but Payday Three, I heard that they had added stealth, like that the stealth was a thing now that, you know, there's a detection system and, and you can sort of walk around in plain sight for a while before you decide to go guns blazing. Um, and so we tried that out and it is broken in a fascinating way. <laughs> <laughs> it's Because it, it couldn't be clearer that at heart it is still a shooter and it wants to be a shooter. And it's for people who like to just mow people down with assault rifles. Like that, that, is, that is the type of heist it is simulating. And that offends me personally because I love heists, but I don't like all-out gunfights. Uh, You know, I want stealth. And so I was excited to to hear that it might have some stealthy stuff in it now. Um, But the way it works is that you start with your mask off, and that means you are just a normal civilian. Everyone's cool with you. If you walk into an restricted area, then guards won't like that, but they'll just say, hey, come with me and lead you back to the the main lobby or whatever um and then the idea is at some point you press the button to put your mask on and then you have revealed yourself as a robber and they will all shoot you on site and civilians will scream um and all that which all makes a certain amount of sense um but then like so many actions are gated by that like so obviously you can't shoot with your mask off makes sense um you also can't mantle. <laughs> you can't climb up anything. Um, and so and that makes sense. If you're making like Hitman, although even Hitman lets you do that, but like if you're making a social stealth section where like you can walk around the lobby because people are allowed to be in the lobby, then okay, I shouldn't be able to climb clamber on the desk. You know, if you climb on the counter at a bank,
0: <laughs> people yeah. may well
1: assume you're robbing the place. Fair enough. <laughs> but this has... This is trying to do both social stealth and actual stealth where you there's all these alternate routes in that you can climb that you can open up a window and, and climb in through that. You can um, you know go in through events, there's all the sort of Deus Ex-y stuff, except you can't without putting your mask on. <laughs> and then once you put your mask on, you you can never take it off again.
0: <laughs> oh, right. Hmm.
1: Not only that, I mean it's just a series of insane decisions that just like laugh out loud, uh, uh wild, where the button to put your mask on. Not only just pressing it again, not remove your mask. Pressing it again throws a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: You, you That's can imagine. We really, that, don't want you to go back to the stealth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can imagine that, that almost any time during a heist, when I am, you know, I'm trying to take my mask off because I've put my mask on to climb over a windowsill, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm I I'm not planning to shoot anyone. Nobody has seen me. That's the whole point of stealth. Nobody has seen me, and so I. The reason I am attempting to take my mask back off is that once I'm inside this window, there's more public areas. I could get back out to them, and I don't want to be suspect. And so when pressing that button throws a grenade instead, <laughs> that is a fairly significant spanner in the works of whatever you're trying to do. And I don't know, it's the kind of weird decision that you can imagine being like, eh, who cares, in a game that was designed around that. But the game feels like it was designed by people who didn't know that was going to be a thing <laughs> because there are all these stealthy routes, all of which require you to mantle and require you to, to do all these things that you're not allowed to do with your mask off. And then the fact that you can't ever take it back off when you put it on, is just a, like ruins everything. There's just no way to, to engage with this stuff uh, in a way that makes sense. And so it did actually lead to one like briefly fun uh, you know, run of, of a mission where it's like a nightclub and we're supposed to steal some crypto shit and if the alarm goes off before we get that it will be will be wiped so it's uh, very important not to set off the alarm and there is a window you can climb in through but of course to do that you've got to put your mask on and permanently reveal yourself as a robber um, so I did that and then I kind of climbed up into some lighting rigs and was sneaking around and basically I could never be seen by guards again unless I wanted to cause a shootout Uh, but graham meanwhile left his mask off and walked through the nightclub as a as a guest and tried to do the sort of social stealth thing of of you know trying to find um a window in in when people are not looking at you to to use a key card or or do some illicit activity um while i was up in the lighting rig and could shoot people with a silenced pistol to try and take them out of his way and for like a brief moment it was almost pretty cool like game concept where like one of you is Sam Fisher and the other one is Agent 47 and you have to kind of cooperate this asymmetric way huh. um, but then it all fell apart <laughs> soon after that because the game just doesn't have like you can't um, just that the whole detection logic is is pretty ropey and uh, there just isn't the scope to like take somebody out and then dispose of their body and, and you know uh, do it stealthily and the fact that you know that there's a staircase coming up to this lighting rig that he could theoretically come up to join me but he can't, there's like a little bit of tape across it and you can't get past the tape without putting your mask on. (laughs) Once you put your mask on you can never take it off again. And The only thing my only theory for why this is the mechanic is that they didn't want to deal with um, if a guard has seen you with your mask on and knows you're a robber and then you go around a corner and you take your mask off and the guard comes around the corner and sees, you know, not the mask he's looking for. Ooh, should he be suspicious of you or not? And they, they didn't want to answer that question, I think. and Or, you know, have to deal with edge cases and, and logic around that stuff about how suspicion is tracked, how it's, you know, yeah. if someone, can someone communicate if a guard, if a civilian sees you with your mask on and then goes and tells a guard, can they convey enough about who you are that the guard can then recognize you with your mask off and things like that. There are some semi-awkward questions there. But I feel like if you just take those questions on and answer them all in the most player hostile way. (laughs) Like, yes, the guard fucking knows it's you. Like, you're still wearing the same clothes. You're still the same build. They're not fooled by the mask. If they've seen you, they've seen you. That's it. Mask doesn't make any difference. Because the situations that I want to work are situations where no one's ever seen me. Like, I am still, uh, no one ever saw me with my mask on. If no one's ever seen me with my mask on, I should be able to take it back off. Also, I shouldn't need to put my fucking mask on to climb over a windowsill.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> when you, so when you are revealed and people are shooting at you are, are all the other players revealed as well no you can be okay.
1: you can be revealed in isolation um, so it doesn't mean
0: you can lure people away and then other people can move into forbidden areas without
1: yeah it wasn't viable on the mission we were doing because like I say when the alarm goes off they delete the crypto so you just lose basically oh. as soon as the alarm goes off um, oh actually they changed the objective into a much more, more difficult one um but yeah, in theory, I guess we could have tried that on a, on a different level, have one person create a stink. The problem is once you start creating a stink, the, get, the level is just going to get worse and worse and harder and harder. Right. And I would yeah. imagine that the whole thing about going into restricted areas um, and guards leading you gently out if they catch you probably goes out the window once guns have <laughs> started to fire. Like They probably just uh, shoot you if they see you in the wrong place.
0: Hmm. I think the developers, didn't they... I'm sure I read a news story about them pledging to improve the game... Uh, and apologizing for the terrible <laughs> state in which it launched. But I don't know if... I don't remember... I think it was the th- things I read that they wanted to improve are things like the progression system, but I don't remember it mentioning anything about uh, stealth. Right, but yeah. I who knows? Maybe. I <laughs> sense
1: that, that this is something that they care about, really. <laughs> right. Sort of like a an extra back-of-the-box feature, but but not something they're super interested in making the game revolve around. And I expect... I think there might have been like server issues, um, and I'm I'm sure that was part of the apology. Um, but I think they, at this point, it's the third game in the series. I think they have a core audience who like gunning down waves of cops and don't yeah. uh, aren't in there to be Sam Fisher or, or Agent Forty Seven, and so like pivoting into that probably doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really just uh, Left for Dead with cops, isn't it? Instead of zombies, yeah. <laughs> or it used to yeah, be. Yeah, it's, it's
1: I insane. The number of people who show up (laughs) is just kind of comical. And they just sort of teleport in all around you. Um, and it's it's honestly, I mean, I like Left 4 Dead and I like shooters in general, and got no problem mowing down cops, but it's just the number of them. (laughs) It's just boring. It's just like even if I have all the ammo and just all the health to just tank all the shots and mow down hundreds and hundreds of people. It's just the same fucking thing over and over again. It just gets so dull.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that way about Vermintide and its uh, dark tide? Um,
1: I did enjoy a bit of Vermintide. I guess when I say I like Left 4 Dead, I haven't truly loved any of those games. Um, and it's a similar kind of problem in that I think Left 4 Dead is, is best when they're special infected fucking with you and you you know, you know have to creep around the witch or a smoker's got your friend and you got to rescue them and all of that stuff. The mowing down the hordes of zombies, I don't really, it never felt good to me in Left 4 Dead. And then mm. in, um, uh, sorry, I've gone blank. What did you? What game did you mention? Darktide? Yes. Um,
0: and then Vermintide uh, as well.
1: Vermintide is the one I played. Um, uh, I like that. Uh, it feels a bit better. It still doesn't feel that satisfying to kill all the rats. <laughs> um, uh, it, there's something about the combat that's not quite, you know, G- gratifying enough the feel isn't isn't really there um but you know co-op stuff with friends is is inherently fun so yeah i've never truly clicked with any of them i feel like Killing claw might be my favorite of them oh really because that's the one where the the guns feel really good it just feels very satisfying to mow things down and everything has a heft to it and it really like the weapons really matter um i can't remember if it does like special infected stuff we have to rescue your friends but I just remember having more fun with that.
0: Yes. Oh well, I will hope they um they improve it. And I also hope that somebody takes your idea of making a Sam Fisher uh and Agent 47 crossover game.
1: Yeah, um, I, love, really I love I love imagining those two people specifically <laughs> in the same game We're just having to have like the conversation between those two would be the most awkward thing <laughs> in the
0: world <laughs> well they Sam's sort I mean, of sound they, all
1: cool and agent 47 is just incredibly awkward <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it i mean they, they already have the the mercs versus spy mode uh in yeah, previous that was uh, really good. splinter cell games but they never they've never thought of making those two asymmetries cooperate rather than being yeah. against each other
1: it is a little bit tricky because i suppose I mean, the question you asked about once one of you is revealed, are you all revealed? We did test that, and it, it is true that it's it's isolated, but it does immediately flashing ahead to all these edge cases of like, you know, to what extent can you walk around a gunfight without anyone shooting you? Like, does is it going to just be weird? Um, but yeah, if it's if it's what you're making the game about, then it could be... Uh, I think you could make it fairly robust. I suppose the problem is you're just making two games, aren't you? Like, you've got to have a, a good detection system and and a good social detection system which wasn't easy for hitman to figure out after no. you know yeah. even four games in <laughs> it was struggling with it a bit
0: yeah it's tricky have you been playing uh, any other uh, heist based games
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we also did revisit monaco uh because um I was listening to the Stealth Boom Boom podcast, which, uh, full disclosure, I got into that podcast because they did an episode on Gunpoint, (laughs) which they were very nice about. Um, But they recently did like a a game of the year thing where they were only talking about games that they covered that year, and they cover games in pretty random order. Um, But uh, they really raved about Monaco in that. And specifically, they kept saying how good the shotgun was in Monaco. And I'm like, is there a shotgun in Monaco? Like, Who has the shotgun? I don't recall that. So... It gave me the urge to to go back to it and i remember having fun playing it with nika um but i also remember having some issues with it and i couldn't really remember what the issues were except that i i remember it bothered me that again uh it's also a heist game and i have very strong feelings about heists and i remember that it it was you never needed any of your specialists everyone's a specialist but none of them are necessary because you get to choose your crew right so the game has the level has to be competable no matter who you chose and therefore the levels cannot depend on any of your abilities and therefore you sort of feel like a bit of a spare wheel sometimes. Um, so Graham and I gave it another shot and that was not the problem. <laughs> the, the problem is you just can't see anything. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> like it's got that, that very uh, sort of signature uh, line of sight rendering looks sort or of ray tracing thing where you can only see parts of the level that your characters could see and it's top down um so there's all these rays kind of coming out of your time and as you move past pillars those rays are going as, as if you're like a torch in a dark place um illuminating everything around you which in practice is just pretty hard to read in the first place because the stuff that's dark it's not pitch black it's, it's like blueprinty which maybe that's helpful like, you know maybe if it was pitch black it'd be worse but it also means you kind of get a bit fuzzy about it i can see this room but am i seeing this room <laughs> or am i just aware of the room from previously seeing it um <laughs> It's really unclear which bits of the level are walls that are going to block vision and which bits are not, um, which is absolutely critical. (laughs) Um, And fundamentally, it just doesn't have the thing that I think every stealth game needs, which is the player has to have some information, some vision or intel or something that the enemy doesn't have so that they can see the problem before it happens. Because if you can't see the enemies when they can't see you, then... As soon as you see an enemy, like by the time you know they're there, it's too late. They've already seen you. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a, there is a bit of tolerance. They you know, have like a certain amount of suspicion and stuff. But the problem we just hit again and again and again is it was just chaos. You just go into the level and like, oh shit, there's three people here. It's too late. Ah, fuck. It's all over. i got to run away. Um, And, you know, recovery is another big stealth game problem where once you're detected, how do you lose detection? And here, it's just very unclear on how far you have to run. I, I thought you could just run up a ladder and hide an event and that you're fine. Graham said they would follow him up the ladder sometimes. Might beat him up there. Um, I, uh, yeah, it just was always chaos. We we're always blindsided by what happened. There is one class, the lookout, who while they're sneaking can like see blips on the map of um, where enemies are. I mm-hmm. played as that them in like an early mission, and it was uh, I guess it was somewhat helpful, but you you don't know who they are, and you don't know where they're looking and you're still missing all the vital information like i just want way more information about what what is happening um and i generally like games with like perfect information i just want to see everyone just show everybody where they're looking their line of sight um all that stuff because the more information you have the more you can plan and the more interesting your plan can be and the more like devious and sneaky and thiefy you can be if you know what what you're going to be facing uh, we did find the shotgun. <laughs> it's just a oh, pickup. Really? I forgot how <laughs> items work in this, which is like you can only have one item at a time. It's got this very arcadey vibe to it, which I also forgot. Where you can only have one item. There's no use button. You have to nudge things to use them, um, and uh, again, very, very much clashing with my my heist fantasies. Money is just like glowing gold diamonds that just lie on the floor they're just like in a parking lot there'll just be like five gold diamonds and you kick those up that that is the money in the game that's what you get uh rewarded for and it's just littered everywhere like like pac-man dots basically <laughs> and so we're breaking into a bank or whatever but there's just like money on the floor there's money in the ground outside there's just money wherever It <laughs> just doesn't seem to care about where the money is or all uh, that kind of stuff um and yeah you, you can pick up one item at a time uh, we didn't really understand the logic of it. Cause like there can be three shotguns and you pick up one shotgun, you can't pick up another shotgun, but then the shotgun can be spent. Like it does get used up, but then I think it can recharge somehow. And I think maybe it might even be like picking up money, recharges it. We couldn't really figure that out. Um, yeah. And to, to jump to the thrilling resolution of this great quest, we went on to discover what the Monaco shotgun was like, it's all right. <laughs> it's decent. <laughs> like, a, You know, if, if you're going to be shooting people, um, uh it's probably one of the better ways to shoot them but it's not like super satisfying and it doesn't it just doesn't feel great in a stealth game because by the time you're firing a shotgun it's already gone wrong right it's already chaos you can't really choose how you engage with the enemy at that point because there's just everyone's running around and you're just going to be chased into a dead end and then just pot luck whether you get beaten to death while you're trying to climb up a ladder before you make it out <laughs>
0: It's such a strange game because I don't think it is a stealth game. It, it doesn't play at all like a stealth game. I think it, it fights all the ways in which the player might ever try to apply stealth to the situation at hand. And yet, it is presenting as a stealth game. And it's, it's. I've, I've, I remember being confounded by it when uh, it first came out because, I mean, as as you say, it's it's visually very difficult to read. It's just this continual strobing effect of uh, lines of sight, which is incredibly disorienting. But just, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the things being on the ground like Pac-Man because I think it is more like Pac-Man. It is, it yeah. is more like, a, a, you know, a, a ball's-out arcade chaos game. And yet, <laughs> and yet superficially, it's uh, it's trying to t- tell you to, to play stealthily and it just the two things don't meet at all.
1: Have you seen the shots of Monaco 2?
0: I have not. No, I didn't know that was in production.
1: Yeah, that was announced a while ago. I just realized I can't actually I check when it was announced. Um they're, on their Steam page, it's just a bunch of renders of environments, like sort of not from a gameplay perspective, just, just uh, like bird's eye view, but it's all just fully 3D, fully lit stuff. So I can't imagine they're going to do the same vision thing because it would it would ruin this art style. <laughs> um, mm. I mean, maybe, maybe it still will, like it'll, the whole level will be kind of dim and, and be illuminated, but it looks kind of like pretty realistic style this time. But it gives me some hope that maybe it's going to be a bit more generous with Intel, like let you see more of the environment while you're messing around with it. Oh, wait, I've just seen in one of them, there's a bunch of coins lying in the corridors. (laughs) So maybe not. (laughs) Maybe it's going to be the same vibe.
0: Well, I think that's the uh, end of the podcast. That's all the time we have. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do set so at questions at CrateandCrowbar.com. All these recordings are uploaded. This video is to YouTube where you can find other stuff by us. The address for that is YouTube.com slash CrateandCrowbar. And thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at Patreon.com slash CrateandCrowbar, or you can join our Discord community. They're lovely. The link for that is on our website, CrateandCrowbar.com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Francis. Farewell. Bye.